Today on Stick to Football, we are doing a little stock watch because it is big board season. We're also going to fix the Cleveland Browns. Yes, it is that time of year. We're going to answer your draft on draft questions. But, Connor, it it does feel like a holiday. It's like uh, right between Halloween and Thanksgiving. And it's a little later this year than normal. The two and six Browns, we're going to address them today, fix them. I don't know if we can draft a head coach, but we're definitely going to talk about it. Yeah, the Browns, the Raiders, they're usually the teams we start with when we do the fixing segment each year. But this year, we kind of put a curveball on it. And we we started with the Bengals, who have earned it. The Jets, they certainly earned it as well. Uh, You know, obviously, the Dolphins, we're going to get there. But we're not in a rush here at Stick to Football. I think this is one game. Yeah, this was kind of an SOS in a way. Because Browns fans have actually been asking, hey, what do we got to do to turn this thing around? Because it has not gone the way we thought. And we've always enjoyed our relationship with the Browns fans on this show. Because when this show started, they were in the middle of one of the biggest rebuilds we've seen in NFL history. Now they feel the yep. roster has taken, you know, turned the corner, but the coaching staff has not. So we'll go through all that today. I just want to hug all our Browns fans because it's like the the expectations this summer, and I was on board. I was jumping up there saying they were going to win the AFC North. The expectations from summer to now, it, it's, it has to be depressing. And I'm not poking fun at Cleveland fans. Like It has to just be completely gut-wrenching to be like, oh, my God, we've turned the corner. And now it's like, why can't we have nice things? Like, what do, what did we do to deserve this? So we're going to try to help our Browns fans out today. But first, we got a lot of college football news, actually. Florida State fires Willie Taggart. We talked about this on the Monday show. They pay an astronomical sum to get out of his contract. Uh, one-year guy at Oregon goes to Florida State. Doesn't work out there. Surprise, surprise. They have hired uh, a firm that's going to come in and help with the search. They got boosters involved. But I, I was interested in this because, and we're recording this Tuesday morning, so if news breaks after this, I apologize. But the statement that came out Monday, Florida State said, we want to name a new head coach by the end of the season. And people who don't follow college football religiously, if like you're here for the draft and NFL talk, you might not know this. But in college football, it is just like a written agreement that you're not going to announce in season that a coach is leaving a college. You just don't, you don't do it. It's, it's almost unheard of. So when I read that Monday, it's like, okay, they're going after someone who's not currently working. The best coach not currently working is Urban Meyer, but he's not going to Florida State. The next best name on the list, and I think this is a curveball, is Bob Stoops. Now, we talked about Monday, maybe Mark Stoops. His name had been mentioned for this job. But if they can get Bob Stoops, that's enormous for Florida State. It is. It's a great get, especially for a guy that we thought probably wanted to take a little time away from college football, and he has, and that itch comes back really quick. He actually is the head coach and general manager of an XFL team in Dallas, the Renegades. Now, I don't think that's going to deter him from taking a high-profile job like Florida State. Now, something we talked about on the Monday show a lot, Matt, is that Florida State has a lot of money, and that's because the boosters at Florida State are willing to give up a lot of money. And and that's a big – whether you think Florida State has lost its luster or not, and factually they have lost some, this is still a program with some historic roots, some golden golden era days, and the money – to lure a guy back in that they feel can turn things around. Now, I actually do think Stoops can get a lot of guys to come play for him and in a creative way that Florida State probably hasn't seen uh, overall too much recently, especially some of the guys they've had there, Willie Taggart being one. In terms of recruiting, I think Stoops would be a big-time upgrade, and he'd be in it for the long haul. So I like it. I'm a little surprised by it because I... I didn't know how quickly he'd be interested in this job, but it sounds like the interest is is pretty significant right now. It does, and this is a guy who has a little bit of experience in Florida. I mean, he went to Iowa. He's from Ohio, so you're like, this is a Rust Belt guy. But he coached at Florida. He was the assistant head coach and defensive coordinator from 1996 to 1998 under Steve Spurrier. So he has some experience in the state of Florida, which I think is important to just kind of understand how the groundwork He's laid there in that state for recruiting and working with the high school coaches. But also, uh, Bob Stoops is a name that really just recruits itself. You know, there, there are a couple of guys. Like, when Pete Carroll went to USC, USC was down. But you're like, okay, he, that name really recruits itself. And I feel like Bob Stoops is one of those names where his reputation, you know, big game Bob and what he did at Oklahoma, uh, his, you know, what, 16, 17 years there was really unprecedented. And he turned that program around. So I think if Florida State can lure Bob Stoops away from the XFL, which 
Probably won't be that hard to do. Then I, I think that this is a great hire for them. This is a slam dunk hire for Florida State, who I really thought they were going to mess this up and go after you know a mid-major guy who hadn't really proven himself and, and would be more of a risk than this. But Bob Stoops is... That's about as big of a home run as you can expect to get if you're Florida State. It absolutely is. I mean, this is a coach with almost an 800 winning percentage here, Matt, and a guy that consistently for a long time was winning 11 or 12 or, you know, 10 games year after year. And you go into the ACC, which is not an impressive conference right now. Even their top dog, Clemson, has looked vulnerable at times this year. But take away Clemson, and you look at the rest of the teams in that conference. We've seen Louisville finally go in the right direction. We thought Miami was going to go in the right direction this year. They really haven't been what we expected. And the rest is a lot of teams that are trying to turn things around. So I think if you're FSU and you want to go for the whole package, not the, hey, we're like PJ. P.J. Fleck, for instance. P.J. Fleck would have been a guy that you hire, and about three years, you would have known if it was the right choice. It needed that much time. Bob Stoops, you're probably going to know if it was the right choice within a year or two, and it probably will work out. That's what's exciting about this, is that FSU fans, and we know them very well, they want instant returns, and this is the guy that can get you them. It absolutely is. And another college who's going back to a familiar name is Rutgers, where Greg Schiano, there's reports that they're maybe close to a reunion happening. Shano was the head coach there for 10 years before he took the head coaching job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But this is like, this is such good news for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots because they draft so many Rutgers players that Greg Shano is just going to become like the minor league for the Patriots. He's still relatively young, 53 years old uh, for a guy who's been coaching for a really, really long time. I like Greg Shano. I actually thought Tennessee should have hired him as head coach. Obviously, uh, some people in the media made sure that that didn't happen with some allegations that proved to be unfounded. But Greg Shadow, I think, is a really, really good coach. And he's good for a place like Rutgers, where there aren't a ton of expectations. He can recruit those Jersey and Pennsylvania kids who are incredibly tough and are going to play his style of football. And there's not an expectation that he's going to turn Rutgers around and make it you know, a perennial powerhouse. But they're going to be a very competitive team with him as head coach. Uh, yeah, they are. He's a Jersey guy. This was always, you know, really kind of the best spot for him in terms of where he's been successful. And I think when you look at Rutgers right now, Matt, it's hard to figure out who would take this job because it's been a buzzsaw for a long time where you go there and and you simply are just getting out recruited, out coached, uh, out performed. It's a big problem across the board. And Shanna was there for, I mean, 10 years and had a winning record at Rutgers. How many guys can say that in this era? It's it's not easy to do. And when he took over the program, they were a two and a one win team. So he really turned them around where they were going from, hey, they might win one or two, maybe four games in a good year to this team should win eight games every year. Now, the question is, does he have enough left in the tank uh, to do this? again because of how poorly Rutgers has you know taken a spiral since he left it's a fair question but I do think he has the right roots in New Jersey where it really matters because there's a lot of good football in New Jersey where he could steal some of those kids get them to come play for Rutgers and maybe not be in the basement of their conference year after year I know a lot of people at Ohio State I mean Larry Johnson is the best defensive line coach in the country but a lot of people at Ohio State will look at at what he did for his two years there and how good that secondary was. I mean, think of all the Ohio State guys in the NFL right now from the secondary, which that is Greg Shano's, uh, I think, specialty, even though um, you don't really, we don't talk enough about how good he is as a secondary coach. But I know a lot of folks really, really believe that, that he had a hand in developing some of those guys. So Shano's ability to develop, to recruit, it's going to be a tough team at Rutgers. So two hires that we hope happen because both would be great for those colleges, also great for us uh, as far as NFL draft prospects go. One thing uh, to talk about on the NFL side of it, and you and I just came back from London. It's an amazing city. I love the people there. They love NFL football, as they call it. The, the Chargers, though, the NFL and apparently the Los Angeles Chargers are talking about maybe – getting together to go to London. Now, it's obvious the Chargers aren't working in L.A. They're playing at a soccer stadium that holds like 20,000 people. Every week, there are more fans of the away team. Like When the Steelers played there, it sounded like a Steelers home game. It is a mess. I don't know that London is the answer, though. Like That's a a 10.5-hour direct flight from L.A. to London. I don't know how Philip Rivers, who is a free agent after this year, like he already rides in like a special van so that he can live in San Diego and play in L.A. 
if they're going to go to London, they're drafting a quarterback in the first round because there's no way in hell Philip Rivers <laughs> no. is going to go to London for half the year. No shot. And the problem is, Matt, it it ends. It doesn't end there. There's a lot of guys. I love the city of London. I love the London fans. And the London fans will be the first to tell you that. Because I asked this to millions of people. I said, if a team ever comes here, do you pivot from the team you root for to what will be your local team? And they go, no. They go, I, I root for the Browns. I root for the Jets. Right. I root. I mean, we saw every single fan there. Bills, Giants, Lions, on and on and on. Where they're not just going to walk away. So I do think the city of London will rally around and support a team and even the fans that aren't necessarily rooting for that team specifically will go to the games, which right. is very special. And I think London football in London uh, for eight games a year is really exciting, but let's address the elephant in the room, Matt. And we've talked about this with a lot of people around the NFL because the NFL has really wanted this to happen. They expect it to happen in the next couple of years. I don't know if that's a pipe dream, but there's a lot of hurdles that come with this. You have to pay those players differently. You have to set the expectations differently for those players for their lives. Are their families going to go live in London? Or are those players going to just live out in London for the season and then come home and train? And they get to come home once a year for the bye week. And besides the fact they make a lot of trips overseas to play their away games. There's a lot of logistics here that aren't easy. And you talk to teams, you talk to coaches, I know plenty that have gone and made that trip for games and even scouts, and they say, listen, it's a, it's a big blow to our rhythm, our momentum. Everything changes when we go out there. They're like, we love the trip, but at the end of the day, it's very tough for a football team. So now imagine this being a team's life, essentially, during the season. I think there'll be a lot of pushback here, but in terms of the franchise, for how bad things are going for the Chargers right now, not on the field, but off the field, this might be the best solution. It really might be, because otherwise, I mean, do you go back to San Diego? And what? I don't have a better one. That's what I'd like to say. I don't either. I really don't. There's just not many cities set up. Um, Oakland uh, can't support the Raiders, so they're not going to take the Chargers. And I guess you could go back to San Diego and be like, hey, maybe this wasn't as bad as we thought. But it, it is just it's a messy situation. As someone who has spent a lot of time in San Francisco, it kills me that there's not a team in San Francisco. So I, you sure. wonder if like... But there's nowhere to play. So you're running into the same problem of where are you going to play for three years? Stanford? Like, what are you going to do? Share a stadium with the Niners? San Jose could support a team. It's big enough, but there's nowhere to play. So I think the Chargers, like, they're almost homeless at this point, which does make you wonder if the league would say, okay, the only market that we don't have a team in that we want a team in is London. We're going to have to send you guys over there. My problem as someone who is like a little OCD, this would kill the divisions, though. Some, there would have to be realignment because the Chargers, if they're in London, they can't be in the AFC West. Are they like, independent? Like right? what? Like Notre Dame? Like what? So it's like you almost have to take someone from the east and put them in the north or south. And then someone from the north or south has to go to the west. It's a nightmare. No one from the I north mean, could go to the west. Those are all Rust Belt teams. It, you almost have to. This is crazy. But you'd real, realistically have to look at putting the Dolphins elsewhere and making the London team in the AFC East. Right. That's what it would come down to because the Jets, the Bills, and the Patriots have the most reasonable trip over there in terms of div- collective division right. in my eyes. Right. Now, the problem with the NFC East, because, of course, you're sitting there saying, oh, the Giants, the Redskins, and Eagles are, are easy to do it, too. I guess you can move Dallas. You think Jerry Jones is going to move the Cowboys out of the NFC East? I don't. Like, there, there are logistical issues that I'm happy oh, I'm not in charge right. of figuring out. There's issues across the board, not even just, like, how do you fly teams over there eight weeks out of the year, and then how do you fly them back over here eight weeks out of the year? It is an absolute mess, dude. Absolute it's, mess. Yeah. But that's it is. the NFL. I'm ex- it is the NFL. And the NFL wants this. I love the NFL's aspirations because a lot of the international fans, not just London, but also in Germany, there are fans around the world. I mean, we get listeners from Brazil, Mexico, all these places that they crave and want football. But I think at the same time, too, while the revenue is nice, more fans is nice, more people loving the game is great, you do have to at some point consider what's right for the players. Tuesday morning, my new big board came out. Top 32 players overall and the top 10 players at each position. As you would expect, Twitter is on fire. (laughs) People want to know where their favorite player is, why I hate their favorite team. 
So, Connor, we're just going to kind of run through some maybe surprises that that I've seen on Twitter and and have a little bit of a nuanced discussion because that can be hard to do in an article. It can be a lot easier to do over a podcast. Yeah, it is. And, and the first one on the list that you have is a stock down, and I'm curious about this one. I need a lot of summer hype, so I think that plays into it. But is Andrew Thomas. A lot of people, a lot of fans believe he could be a franchise tackle, a franchise offensive lineman. He's been DeAndre Swift's guy up front for Georgia. Uh, what's the latest for him, Matt? Yeah, you know, watching him uh, over the last couple of weeks and being able to really hone in and study his game, I'm not in love with his movement ability. I think his power is amazing. He has heavy hands. He does have good arm length. I don't think if he is 6'5", as he's listed, I'll be surprised. I don't know if you've if you've noticed, he kind of has a weird body. He, he has this very square frame. Yeah. He does, you know, he's not built like Tyron Smith or Trent Williams. He's not built like Ronnie Stanley. And, he's and, more and, compact. Know, right, very. So, yeah. When you look at him, you're like, it's it's almost hard to believe. Like, okay, is he really 6'5", 320, or is he 6'4", 335? Because he, he looks you know bigger than he's listed at. So I, I wonder about that. And again, just the movement skills I haven't been in love with. And I think with what offensive tackles have to do in the NFL now, you have to be able to move. You have to be able to slide and mirror. You have to be able to recover back to the inside with speed. No doubt he has power. And there might be schemes where he can be a really good left tackle, but I just can't rank him in the top 10 and say this is a franchise left tackle when I don't see that movement ability from him. I really like Andrew Thomas, but I think a lot of people were shocked when we did the mock draft Monday and I had the Jets taking Jerry Judy instead of him. And what it comes down to me is Jerry Judy's going to grade out as a much, much better player because Jerry Judy has the chance to be special. I know you've compared him to Odell Beckham in the past. I think the guy is truly a number one wide receiver. Sam Darnold has never had that, and this is probably the opportunity to go get that I understand the argument the Jets need to solve corner edge tackle a lot of teams do and that's why Andrew Thomas will probably still be a high pick but at the end of the day I I think I'm I'm in this no man's land of I really like Andrew Thomas I think he's a phenomenal run blocker he'd probably be an elite guard and I hate saying that take a tackle and turn him to guard I think he could be a good tackle I'm not convinced yet that he's this elite tackle where you're going to use a top three pick on him and that's what we're trying to figure out right now. Yeah, and I, I believe I said this on one of our shows last week that he reminds me of Lyle Collins. Like, and that's a good player. It's a good he's player. A really good player. Great, yep. But it's not a left tackle. And it might so, not be a top three pick. That's what it comes down no. to. You know what I mean? The, it, Absolutely so not. So many teams need offensive line. And I've said this before. You really, this is the year you want to get creative in free agency and the trade market and then go into the draft and see how the board falls. Because I like a lot of players that are going to be later available in later round one or or the second round at tackle as well, where you might strike some better value. We'll see. But on a happier note, you have C.J. Henderson as a stock up guy this year after a slow start for him. He's going back up. I thought he did start slowly this year. And I'm not not just talking about passes, defense, and interceptions. I really thought his play was a little bit off. It seems like he has re sparked the fire in himself a little bit. He's been playing much more aggressively. I know Florida has lost a couple games now to LSU and to Georgia, but I think C.J. Henderson is a really good man coverage corner, and there just aren't enough of those. You know, it's like supply and demand is not great. But when it comes down to it, like when I'm stacking a big board, is that you're betting on these players. You're putting your name on that player, that your stamp on the player. And there, you know, how many guys in this class do you really feel like, okay, he's going to be a good player. I'm willing to put my name on that guy. So C.J. Henderson, the more I started shuffling the board and moving guys down, it's like, okay, who do I really believe in? Not who am I told is good, not who other guys in the media might like, but who do I like as a player, regardless of scouts and everyone else. And I like C.J. Henderson. He's aggressive. He's physical. I know that he's tackling. It's like, okay, maybe sometimes he does it, sometimes he doesn't. I, I really think that he's just trying not to get hurt before he jumps to the NFL. But a 6'1", 185-pound corner who is not afraid to play physically through coverage and to come up and play in the run, that's the kind of guy that I, I want every time. I'm very conflicted on C.J. Henderson because you look at the player, you look at the physical profile, the athlete, the size, the length, and it's everything you want in a corner. And I'm, I stand with you that I don't think he's been very fiery this year on the field. I, I think I've seen kind of a complacent attitude, and we saw that with Greedy Williams at times his last year at LSU, where you want them just a little bit more from them. It, it's almost like you look at Henderson and you're like, 
Well, he could be as good as Jeff Akuda, but he's just not. Akuda plays with a different yep. edge. And I think it's going to be interesting to really watch him this year because is it a question of, hey, he just doesn't have his foot on the gas right now because he doesn't want to get hurt? Because you know the raw physical talent is there. Yep. And I will say, uh, we've talked a lot about, oh, is Florida DBU? Florida guys have not done that well in the NFL. So that, And again, you just got the player, not the helmet, but that is something that you have no, to be aware of a little bit. It's crazy when you look at... Vernon Hargraves, um, the the year that well Quincy Wilson and and uh, Tease Tabor both yep. went pretty early. I mean, the only two uh, Marcus May's been good when healthy. He's been banged up, and Brian Poole wasn't even drafted, and he's been a good slot corner. Right. But the Florida, the high profile Florida DBs have not panned out at all. Yeah, and another guy that it pains me to move him down because I felt like I not that I was the first person to discover this player, but I felt like I was early on him last year. A.J. Epinesa, Iowa, who was so good last year as a backup. He had 10 and a half sacks. Uh, he had a ton of tackles for loss. This year, he's been very, very quiet. Three and a half sacks. And I know we've talked about it before on the show. It feels like everyone they play is keying on him and trying to slow him down. But he doesn't look to have as much spark in his first step this year. So I, I, I like A.J. Epinesa a lot. I still have him ranked fairly highly. I still have him at number 12 overall. But I had to I had to move my guy down because at six foot six, two eighty, like you're gonna have to do a lot of things to to get free. You're gonna have to have speed, you're gonna have to have power and ability to to mix and match those things. I'm just not seeing that from him this year. So only three and a half sacks so far in eight games. I know I've said before, I think once testing gets here, he'll have a chance to rise back up the board, but this is not a top three or top five guy in this class. I think the frustrating thing is Yitor Grossmatos has just been a better player this year than him, and I don't think a lot of people expected that coming into the year with Epinesa's talent and going from a backup last year to a full-time player. He really he played enough snaps where he had double-digit sacks, but you just like to see a little bit more out of Epinesa. But somebody who continues to show us a lot more, but he's had some monster games this year, and we hope to see him at the Senior Bowl. Michael Pittman Jr. stock up. What is the latest you've seen from him, Matt? Oh, my God. I, watching the Oregon game, um, I was so disappointed because I picked USC to win, but watching Michael Pittman, I, and they have other targets. I mean, what they have with Vaughn's, what they have with St. Brown, like good young receivers, but Pittman's strength in his hands is exceptional. Like his grip strength, his ability to just hold on to the ball. And there were some errant throws from Slovis, his ability to just pull in the tough catch and in his frame, six foot four, two twenty. He's very, very well built. I don't know that he's the fastest guy in the world, but he does look quicker this year. 58 catches, already eight touchdowns. Not a first rounder for me. But if I can get Michael Pittman Jr. in like the middle of round two, I actually think that he could develop into a starting X wide receiver. You're not going to put a dude like this in the slot, but a team like, you know, Buffalo, if they can't get a receiver in the first round, uh, Pittman's exactly what they need in the second round. Or we've talked about like if Carolina wants to add some size to go with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, he's going to be a really good fit for teams like that where they want a physical outside receiver who can post up. But I've also been seeing him win over the middle of the field because his hands are just so, so strong. I can't figure this guy out for the life of me. And that's why I'm just praying he goes <laughs> to the senior bowl so we can get down on the field. And, and he should. Yes. I mean, he'll be invited. And I'll tell you he what. Needs to accept. I'll tell you why, Matt. When we saw him against Utah, we're like, oh, he's faster than we thought. And you see him against Oregon and Colorado, and he's he's big, he's strong, he's got good hands. When I went to see him against Washington, besides one touchdown that was almost a missed assignment from Washington, he couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. He couldn't run by anyone. Those Washington defensive backs, they get their hands on you, and they really they bump and run, and, and he struggled. And you sit there and you go, well, those are the kind of DBs he's going to see in the NFL, and will that work at the next level? So I've seen yep. it from Pittman where – Nobody can cover him, and I've seen it from him where he can't get off the line of scrimmage. I don't know what he is, and and I think that's okay at this point of the process because he's somebody where we're probably going to get to see him down in Mobile in person. We're probably going to catch up on tape, and it'll paint a whole picture. And to be honest with you, he's probably something right in the middle. He might be a pretty good possession guy with a big body that can be your number three as you're sealing your number two target, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And I I think watching Oregon, like they were rolling coverage his way and it opened up everything for Vons and St. Brown. But yeah, we do need to see him make some plays. Another guy moving up, and this is the most improved player 
outside of Joe Burrow that I've seen this year, and that's J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State. He looks faster. He looks more physical. His vision looks better. And this is a fairly young Ohio State offensive line, so it's not like he just got you know has five seniors in front of him and he's rolling behind it. This is a young offensive line, but already this year he has 1,100 rushing yards and nine touchdowns. He's catching the ball, 13 catches for two touchdowns. J.K. Dobbins just continues every week to move up for me to the point where, and I feel like with running backs, this year I'm going to try to do a much better job of saying, okay, for this offense, this dude's a really good fit. For some teams, I think J.K. Dobbins would be a better back than Travis Etienne because he has that inside run ability. We've seen some breakaway speed from him. So I am just, after last year where I was like, man, what happened to this guy who was so good as a freshman? But he's changed his body. I mean, he has slimmed down so much, and it, it shows. He's faster, he's more explosive, and, and I think that's allowed him to be much better at the second and third level as a running back. During his freshman season, we watched the guy, and we go, that is prime Doug Martin. Like when Doug Martin yeah. was a 1,400-yard player, he could run to the outside with speed, he can catch, he could do everything. Sophomore year, no idea who that was. This year, he's back again. I, I love what we've seen from J.K. Dobbins. This is a fun running back class because you can go and find your a starter and what kind of flavor you like for your scheme pretty much in the first three rounds I feel like we've done we've gone over it with DeAndre Swift Jonathan Taylor Najee Harris plenty of times obviously ETN but Dobbins is right in the mix here where he just seems reliable that's what I really like about Dobbins he doesn't have these flat games he's only had two games this year where he didn't go over 100 yards and one of those games he only got eight carries because they absolutely smoked Miami Ohio he's averaging over seven yards a carry I think he does make the most of the few targets he gets in the pass game so J.K. Dobbins has done himself a lot of favors this year he really really has I'm such a big fan of his now let's uh, talk a little bit about the quarterbacks because I know a lot of people listening that's all they care about right now is the quarterbacks what's going to happen and I actually wrote as part of this uh, big board article I'm disappointed by the quarterbacks and I think the, like if there was a keyword a takeaway it would be consistency Tua has been incredibly consistent when not hurt. Joe Burrow has been incredibly consistent this year. Jake Fromm has been incredibly consistent. Where I struggle with guys like Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason, Jordan Love. Jordan Love's a big one. Jalen Hurts, even, if we're going to consider him uh, part of the quarterback class, uh, at least the top tier of it. I'm very disappointed by the inconsistency. Jacob Eason, not good against any good defenses. Uh, Justin Herbert, The numbers look good, but the play, like if the actual watching him play, I think he's still missing too often. And I will applaud him for coming back. He took a hard hit to the knee, went to the tent, came back in that USC game. For a guy who we've talked about maybe isn't the mentally toughest guy, that showed me a lot. It really did. But I've just been very down on Eason, Love. Love has traits for days. And I'll tell you this now, a lot of people didn't like it when we said Josh Allen was going to be a top 10 pick, but he was, and it was based on traits. Jordan Love could also be a top 10 pick because of those same traits. And and the fact that he doesn't have great talent around him, I think almost helps his draft stock because when he plays poorly, you can say, oh, well, he has shit around him, so of course he's going to play poorly. When he plays well, he's like, oh my God, he's elevating the talent around him. But I, I think a quarterback class where we've said there might be four, five guys drafted in the first round, a lot of these dudes need to step up. They really do. I, the only two I will even come will have a first round grade on, and I'm not official with this, is Tua and Joe Burrow. The other guys, it's very hard to make that case. Eason and Herbert are funny because they have the Josh Allen type of thing, and even Rosen was like this too. When they do it right, it looks so pretty. It's a beautiful, beautiful ball they throw. They got they could change speeds on the ball. Everything just looks perfect. But you have mm-hmm. to almost dig at times for those samples for the next level. Jordan Love, what scares me is, and, and hear this one out, Matt, against Wake Forest, LSU, and BYU, he's thrown three interceptions in each of those games. That's nine interceptions against against three pretty decent teams. Obviously, LSU is great, Wake Forest, and BYU. The rest of the teams he plays, I mean... I, those what do those stats mean to you at this point? And, and you go and you watch all the games for the traits, but I think at the end of the day, he's not even close to being NFL ready. I, I mean, not even close. This is like a draft in the second or third round, develop the traits for a year or two, 
And, and I was told that story with Christian Hackenberg once upon a time. Jordan Love is not Christian Hackenberg, but the point stands if you need to put a guy in ice for a very long time, there's a pretty good chance that investment's not going to pay off in the NFL. And not everyone's Pat Mahomes, whoever wants to throw that one back in my face. Or Aaron, I was waiting to say Or Aaron Rodgers. There's two of those. In the, yeah. <laughs> there's one each of those in the world. So, and I'm not and they say, happen yeah. like 15 years apart. Exactly. And I'm not saying Jordan Love won't be great. But the problem is he, he's just not even close right now where you have to consider going back to school if you're Jordan Love. So I'm with you all the way. I'll say on the other side of that, the, the argument that I think that he'll hear from agents and we'll get from teams is the go, town around him is bad, so I go back. Go develop and it was in like, the NFL. That's what Josh got at Wyoming, too. It's like, oh, well, that team's not getting better, so might as well come out and get your money. But, but like you're not thinking about what's best for the guy's career long term. You're thinking about, well, he, you're gonna be a top ten pick. You should probably come out. So I think Jordan Love's gonna be a fascinating one to study once we know if he's in or out. And I'll say the same thing with Jake Fromm. I love watching Jake Fromm play college football. Absolutely love it. But he's so limited physically. But I've seen guys like that dominate. Eli Manning was that way. I think Drew Brees to some extent is that way. I mean, hell, even if his floor is Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton had a couple good years and then just got kind of surrounded by a, a team that was falling apart. So Jake Fromm is really interesting for me, too. And we're going to talk a lot about these quarterbacks over the next couple months because this this class, so many teams need the quarterbacks, and, and we're not sold on most of them outside of the top two. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to fix the Cleveland Browns. Step number one, Baker, you got to shave that mustache. <laughs> Oh, Cleveland Browns fans, we feel for you guys. We've been there. Connor's a Jets fan. I'm a Niners fan. We've absolutely (laughs) been there. We know how this goes, and we are sorry. But we're here to help by fixing the Browns. It's a team that has $60 million in expected cap space. They have 10 draft picks, four of those in the first three rounds. They don't have a lot of free agents of their own to try to keep. And I've said earlier this summer when I had to start looking at the 2020 draft to be like, gosh, the Browns don't have a lot of needs on paper. And I still maintain that. This is not a team outside of the offensive tackle, left tackle specifically, that you would say has a lot of needs on paper, which is why if we're fixing the Cleveland Browns, the first step is firing Freddie Kitchens and bringing in a head coach who can develop and Get the talent that this team has playing well. Elevate the talent that you have on the roster. Freddie Kitchens is not doing that. We're seeing it with uh, issues like Jermaine Whitehead, with OBJ and Jarvis Landry wearing unapproved cleats. Could you imagine that happening in New England? No, God, no. no. Absolutely not. Could you imagine that happening in San Francisco? No, there's no way. They need someone who can hold this roster accountable and who can coach the talent that John Dorsey and that amazing front office staff that we've applauded for years can get, they're putting good players together. Now they need a coach who can do that. The biggest question is who the hell is is it? Is it Mike McCarthy? I mean, I can't rally behind that one. I wouldn't surprise me. I think he's a good coach, but God, I would like, I'm falling asleep at that idea. Yeah. I just think that at the end of that Green Bay tenure, McCarthy had really he checked out. He really checked out. And I know anything would have been better than Adam Gase, but I heard he didn't even really interview very well with the Jets, where it was like, man, you know, does he, does he still have it? Does he still want it? And maybe a year away was good for him. And you know there's the connection there for Cleveland, and I do think it would bring accountability to this very talented roster. I just don't know if I could be excited about it is my point, Matt. I can't be. And I know a lot of Cleveland fans want are going to want us to talk about one Lincoln name Riley. in particular. Lincoln Riley. Hey, Lincoln Riley can reunite with Baker Mayfield. He can have a great running back in Nick Chubb. He can have two amazing receivers in Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. Why not? If there's going to be a job that he's going to take, why wouldn't this be it? And this is all instinct for me. It's all gut for me. I don't think... Lincoln Riley's going to leave one of the best jobs in college football at the University of Oklahoma to take a job where he's going to have to kind of build a team. And yes, he and Baker made beautiful, beautiful music together. We also don't know if that song will play in the NFL. So I think with Lincoln Riley, yes, he's a hell of a coach, and he's three, maybe three Heisman winners in a row. We'll see what happens with Jalen Hurts down the stretch here. But man, I, I just don't know that Cleveland can entice a Lincoln Riley to come work under John Dorsey and to 
have all the pressure of turning around a, a fan base that is just, you know, dang near depressed level right well, now. Well, I think what you have to ask yourself is if you're Lincoln Riley, not the Browns, because I've fallen into this pipe dream as well. I wanted Matt Campbell to go to the Jets. He said, hell no. You have to ask yourself, why would Lincoln Riley go to the Browns? He's winning at Oklahoma. He makes a lot of money at Oklahoma. As more teams come calling to try to steal him, he's going to make more money at Oklahoma. And also, this is something we've heard forever, Matt, and maybe this changes. We've been told all along the only job Lincoln Riley will go to the NFL for is the Dallas Cowboys. And if that's true, that cancels this out right away. Now... Exactly. It doesn't matter. And also, there's there's a different expectation level when you're. A lot of people go. This is a weird thing that I've noticed. Is like a. It's just not true. It's false. A lot of people go. Oh well, it's Cleveland. The media's tough in Cleveland, man. They're tough. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. It's, it's not New York. It's hard. It's not. But it's not Green no, Bay. No, it's it's not some kind of you know stroll down the easy lane. It's you know what I mean. It's it's a tough job to walk into where. Does Lincoln need that kind of stress? Now, I don't. This is fixing the Browns, so I don't want to be why why these are all the wrong things for the Browns. But I think we have to get a little more realistic in case the Lincoln Riley dream does not happen. And here's where I was going to go with that, and I'm glad you you pivoted perfectly. You mentioned that you wanted this guy to be the head coach of the Jets last year, and he said no. That's Matt Campbell, who guess what is from Ohio, which I think all good coaches are, but a guy who is not from exactly from Cleveland, but he's from very close to Cleveland and could be a guy that could come in. And what you hear about Matt Campbell is he's not going to kill you with X's nose, but he's so good at culture. Guess what Cleveland needs right now? Culture. They need leadership. They need a CEO. And I think that's what Matty Campbell brings to this is someone who he gets that area. He and John Dorsey are cut from the same cloth. I think they would work very, very well together. He might need help filling out a staff. I think that's one of the keys. If I'm Matt Campbell, I'm going to apologize to Todd Munkin and say, hey, uh, I know the last coach did you wrong. Would you please stay on and actually be my offensive coordinator? Would you actually work with Baker Mayfield? Would you help design this offense and call the plays instead of basically just being a glorified quarterbacks coach? So Matt Campbell, yeah, he might need a little bit of help, but I am a big believer in his talents as a head coach, as a CEO. I actually think he's better suited for the NFL than he has college because, you know, he's not great at the locker room adjustments. But what he is good at is instituting a culture and is executing it and seeing it through. So that, to me, is better for the NFL than college. I think Matty Campbell, just, like, this is such an obvious fit if they want to go to someone who's not Mike McCarthy. I'm with you all the way on that. Matt Campbell is the Midwest version of like the Matt Rule style of coaching. And Matt Rule is at Baylor right now, but Matt Rule is a Northeast kind of guy. He's from New York. He coached for the Giants. He rebuilt Temple. I do think if the Jets or Giants job opens up, he'll be in that conversation for the Jets. will be the second year in a row. Matt Campbell is the guy where he doesn't want New York. That's not where he wants to be. He likes the Midwest. I was always told that he wanted the Ohio State job. Guess who's not going anywhere anytime soon? That guy Ryan Day is pretty good. And that makes you wonder, what is next for Matt Campbell? I, I mean, there was talk that he was one of the favorites when the FSU job opened up. That doesn't look like it's happening. And who knows if he even wants that kind of job. I think the Browns job right. is honestly perfect for him if he's ready for the what's next after Iowa State for all the reasons you said, Matt. And you brought up a name that we have to talk about, not just as the offensive coordinator, because there's a chance he'll be the interim head coach. Now, I don't think the Browns will hire that guy will go that route again. But Todd Munkin, he had interviews last year. Uh, he was very well liked around the league. He has been buried this year. I never understood why he took this job in the first place. It made no sense for him. But at the same time, you have to wonder, is he going to get his chance in coaching interviews again? Yeah, you really that, that is the key. You wonder if that will happen. But I think Matt Campbell's a, a good direction to go. Whoever they have at head coach is going to have to make some decisions on free agency. They have four what I would call key free agents. J.C. Treader at center, Greg Robinson at left tackle, Demarius Randall at safety, and Joe Schobert at linebacker. J.C. Treader's a good player. I can see them trying to keep him. Demarius Randall, very good player when healthy. I could see them maybe keeping him. Joe Schobert, another guy, been banged up a little bit. So I would not be surprised if the Browns, with their 10 draft picks and their $60 million, said, we're going to try to keep J.C. Treader. Otherwise, we're going to go to the draft. We're going to go to free agency to try to fill out the rest of this roster. Yeah, I don't think this is a team that just goes on some wild spending spree uh, this offseason. Now, what's interesting with them is 
if they cut Olivier Vernon, they save $15.5 million. That's a pretty easy savings right there. So they can get some more money if they need it. But I just don't see them going nuts unless – because you got to bring back Shredder. He's a good player. And this offensive line can't lose pieces right now. So that's a pretty big contract right there. I think they should. I think they should keep Schobert. Like you said, Randall and Greg Robinson. You know, we'll see what happens there with that. I, I mean, there's no reason to really lose Demarius Randall, but once again, it's definitely no lock that he stays. So the Browns are an interesting spot in free agency where they don't need to go nuts because this is a good roster, Matt. You don't need to go crazy and, and overcompensate. For one bad year, you can keep building this through the draft. You just need to nail that coaching hire. Yeah, I mean, that's truly, that's where it's at right now. Nail the coaching hire, get someone who can develop this team. And again, a lot of draft picks here that they can work with and rebuild this team. So I think that is, that's where you look at it and say, gosh, okay. And we're going to run through this, a mock draft. Right now, the Browns are expected to pick number seven overall. The biggest need for this team is that left tackle. And we talked about Andrew Thomas in a previous segment. I'm not the biggest believer in his ability, but if the Cleveland Browns are, this is a no-brainer. Whether it's Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs or Alex Leatherwood, whoever they end up liking at left tackle. And number seven overall, for a team that has pass rushers in Miles Garrett and you have Olivier Vernon, they're pretty good at defensive tackle. I think it's almost often it's almost left tackle or bust here for the Cleveland Browns at seven overall. I'm with you. I went with Andrew Thomas as well, and this is why I actually really like the fit here. This team should get back to its roots of being a power run team with Nick Chubb, and Andrew Thomas is the type of offensive lineman that you could absolutely dominate in the ground game with. He'd be perfect for them. I I just think when you look at the fit here, if you want Andrew Thomas to go in the top 10, this is a really nice landing spot for him. Tristan Worf's name will be in this conversation with a lot of other offensive linemen. But for the four rounds of drafting I did, and I know you did seven, this was kind of the no-brainer pick. Yeah, absolutely. And then second round, pick number 40 is where they would be right now. Again, we talked about Damaris Randall might be a free agent. I think they can still upgrade to the safety position. Xavier McKinney is who I went with, a free safety from Alabama who has size to play. Uh, really either safety spot. And some of this will hinge on who the defensive coordinator is, what they're doing uh, from a secondary standpoint. You know, we've seen Greg Williams in there running guys 20 yards deep of safety. We've seen a lot of different variations of this defense. So Xavier McKinney, someone I really like at Alabama. I don't think he gets talked enough uh, about enough, excuse me, because of all the talent around him. But I think he's the second best safety in this class and someone who, if they want a center fielder, I think McKinney is a really natural fit in that role. Yeah, I went with safety as well, and I love McKinney, but the point of this mock draft is also to show, hey, what if that guy's not there? So to show a different look, I went with Ashton Davis from Cal, and this is actually going to be one of the cooler stories probably in the draft this year for Davis. He goes to Cal, he's on the track team, and then a year or two later, he tries out for the football team. He walks on the football team. So you have a great track athlete that turns into a great defensive back at Cal. And I think he could do a little bit of everything where Cleveland, they've had a lot of guys injured at corner this year. Davis has played corner before. He's played safety. We know what kind of great athlete he is. And he can really, really help the back end of this defense. Yep. And then moving into the third round. So we both agree. Offensive tackle, DB. Moving into the third round, they have two picks actually. I'm going linebacker here because I don't know if Joe Sherbert will be back. Jacob Phillips at LSU, someone I really like. I think he has ability as a three-down linebacker. Now, he is a junior, so maybe he doesn't come out. We'll see what happens against LSU. Michael Divinity, their best linebacker, actually left the team. So Alabama maybe getting a little bit of a blessing in disguise here with, with LSU's best linebacker leaving the team. But Jacob Phillips has a big role to fill this weekend. This could be a little bit of a coming out game for him because I I do think he has really good athleticism, good instincts. Um, just he hasn't made a ton of huge plays. But I think Jacob Phillips, pro, he projects well as a starter maybe in year two of his NFL career. Yeah, he does. And, and they definitely need a little more punch in the middle of that defense in terms of depth because this group has been murdered by injuries this year. But when you look at you know, one area of need that this was more of a value pick, but it could turn into a need. I went with Colin Johnson in the third round here. For whatever reason, they don't play Higgins. Callaway is not reliable. I don't know if Jarvis Landry will be on this team for the long haul because of the money makes and the production is okay. 
Odell is not going anywhere. Everyone relax. But to get a little <laughs> more size in yeah. the red zone with someone like Colin Johnson in the third round, I thought was a really good value at this point. Yeah, with Colin, when he's on the field, he's exceptional. Exactly. He's, he's been a hurt the last two years at Texas off and on. Uh, third round pick number 89 is where they're projected to be right now. I do think the offensive line needs a little bit of a boost here. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, like I said, I think J.C. Treader is a guy they would want to target to bring back. Whether he is or isn't back, I still think that the interior of the line could use some help, especially at right guard. So I'm going to go with Daryl Williams from Mississippi State here, a guy who's a bit of a mauler. He's going to be very good in the inside run game, and I think he will fit well enough if they decide to go to like an inside zone scheme. I think he's shown enough ability to get to the second level, which is going to be crucial for that. So I, I like Daryl Williams. I'm a believer in his toughness, his physicality. I think he could be a, a rookie starter, honestly, on this offensive line. Yeah, they need to stack the deck with offensive linemen. That's kind of going to be a theme here. We talked about it in internal free agency, and then we talked about it with the first-round pick. So then you go with Williams in the third. I, I looked on the defensive side of the ball again. Going back to DB, Miles Bryant, he is small, but he is feisty, he is nasty, and I think he could be a good slot corner coming out of Washington this late in the draft. He's somebody that will be on the field next year in the NFL. That's the kind of player he is. He makes plays in the backfield. It goes back to the way Washington develops these DBs. Buda Baker was, what, 5'8", 190, yeah. or whatever he was. It didn't matter. He makes plays, and he's still doing it in the NFL. That's how I feel about Miles Bryant. Yeah, I like Miles Bryant, too. Like you said, I know Jim Nagy talked about him when he was on the show. He's tiny. Like, yeah, he's tiny, but he can play. Uh, one of my favorite players in the NFL, Quandre Diggs. Tiny, but he can play. Round four, the Browns, uh, I'm going to go corner as well. You just went there. I think this is a position of need for them. Damon Arnett at Ohio State, I don't know if he'll last to the fourth round, because he has played very, very well this year. Last year, not so much. But this year, he's an excellent nickel corner. He's probably not going to be an outside starter ever in his career. But I do think he's a really good player in the nickel. That He comes in, fills a big need for the Browns. Just add depth to a position where Denzel Ward's been hurt, Grady Williams has been hurt, and that lack of depth has really hurt them this year. Yeah, it really has. And you know what? They've, I would say they got through it. They've been losing games, but it's been better at corner than expected with all of the injuries they've had to deal with. And I think that adding one of these two young guys we just went through in Arnett or Bryant are two players that should play right away next year, which is good value at this point. I looked at one of the more interesting chess pieces in this draft, Grant Calcaterra. He's a tight end that's built like a receiver that kind of plays like a tight end up the seam. I don't know. I just know that Baker Mayfield can make this guy a weapon in the middle of the field. They've been banged up at tight end before. Wherever he plays. Yeah, wherever he plays, this is kind of the right fit for him. And I just think this is a group that can continue to keep stacking size. They get Colin Johnson early round three, now Calcaterra in round four. It'd be pretty fun to watch. Round five, I actually went to the defensive line. Uh, I feel like this is something that John Dorsey firmly believes in. Late in the draft, you want to bolster your line, just draft guys and, and hope something sticks. I think they could use help at the defensive tackle position, at least for a, a rotational player here. I'm not talking about starters like no, Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi aren't going anywhere, but getting depth. Raekwon Williams from Michigan State, uh, six foot five, he's about 285, so he could play, you know. One tech, three tech. If they ever go to a three-man front, he can bounce out and play over the tackle. I, I think he has a, a good potential there. Round six, the, the Browns have two picks, and I went skill position here. This might be more how I would build a team than how John will, but I'm such a believer. Late in the draft, I would almost always draft a receiver, a quarterback, and maybe a running back. When you have 10 picks, I think you could definitely go running back. So what I did here in round six, Kalijah Lipscomb from Vanderbilt, who had a, a ton of pub as a senior receiver. He actually left the team briefly for some personal reasons. He should be back soon. I like Kalijah Lipscomb. And Joshua Kelly at UCLA, a physical runner. Kareem Hunt is actually a free agent after this year as well. So whether he's back or not, we're, we're finally going to see Kareem Hunt play. The Browns could use someone behind Nick Chubb. Why not take a flyer in the sixth round on a player? And then in round like seven... That. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield's going anywhere, but why not with 10 draft picks, draft a quarterback and see what you have. I mean, look at where Jacksonville is now because they took a chance on Gardner Minshew. Or look where Carolina is now because they picked up a UDFA in Kyle Allen. All, I would Every year, I would add a quarterback that I like, that they had some traits. So I'm going to add Nate Stanley here in round seven. If it doesn't hit, oh well, it was round seven, but... I like, like, Nate Stanley has some games, and he had some earlier this year, where he looks like a viable quarterback. Then he has some games where you're left wondering what the hell he's looking at. But if I'm the <laughs> Browns, I'm at least adding more to that room. Right now, it's Baker, it's Garrett Gilbert. 
I, yeah, I that's, still believe that's not enough. <laughs> right, it's not enough. I still believe Baker's issues can be fixed. But if not, you're going to want some guys that you can at least have a look see. Hey, is there anything there? Let's kick, you know, kick the tires on Nate Stanley a little bit. And then with the final pick, I'm going to go back to the interior of the offensive line, build some depth here with Shane Lemieux from Oregon. Listen, I, I like those picks a lot because of value. I think Kelly is somebody that will be the forgotten man in this running back class and will probably go in the sixth round and can sneak his way into finding a role on a team. I know Lipscomb probably hasn't lived up to what we expected coming into this year, but you still bet on the talent. And in terms of backup quarterback, we've seen teams completely neglect it, cough New York Jets, and it absolutely burned them due to one injury stretch that they simply cannot get through. So at that point in the draft, why not? It is draft on draft time. We're going to kick it off with our guy, Patrick Chamberlain, Mr. Perfect Attendance. Rank these potential head coach openings from most to least desirable. Giants, Jets, Falcons, Redskins, Browns. The Falcons have to be (laughs) the top because they have a quarterback. You have Matt Ryan, you have Julio Jones. They're worth problems to have than having those two guys. Great owner, just invested in the offensive line with two first-rounders. I think the Falcons are far and away number one Beautiful stadium. Atlanta's a good place to be. I mean, the Falcons, is that's the job, in my opinion. You can go there and you can win football games. Right. I actually think the Browns are the second most. And I don't love the owner there, but I love the fan base. And I actually I like the pieces sure. like we just talked about. Like they, there's talent. There's no shortage of talent here. They're gonna have money. Like whatever you think about Baker Mayfield as how he handles the media or as a person, like he was he was a good quarterback last year. He almost won rookie of the year. Just getting him back to that. I, I think there's there's enough talent there to develop. I love Nick Chubb. So I think the Browns would be second. This is where it gets very now, interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's Giants or Jets. The Redskins are last because ownership and you would have to deal with Bruce Allen, and there's no way. Like, I'm just not doing it. Here's the thing that it comes down to for me, and I hate that I have to go this way because it makes me sound like a homer. I don't believe in Dave Gettleman. I don't know if Joe Douglas nope. is good, but I also don't know if he's bad. I'm con- I'm no, exactly. convinced like, I don't know if Joe's bad. good, but I know Dave Gettleman is. So <laughs> now the now the flip side is ownership for the Giants is significantly better, significantly so much better. Yes. better. And now the Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold are just giving the football away every week, every single week. The both of them are just giving the football away. So we don't know much about either of those quarterbacks, and I believe they're both the same age. So it's it's not like it's not That's like true. I know people are like oh well, J- Daniel Jones is a rookie, but they're both 22 and they both turned 22 I think in like the same week. So it's a toss up, man. Like I I don't they're in such bad places both of them. The Giants roster is not very good. The Jets roster is not very good. Dave Gettleman, I don't think is very good, but the Giants have good owners. Joe Douglas, I think is going to be okay. The Jets have horrible owners. Pick your poison. It's yeah, it's t- it's really tough. I would say that they are. There's not a right answer, Giants <laughs> or Jets, because uh, it's not like you get a facilities difference there. But it, it's just personal preference. If you like Daniel Jones, be the, have Saquon. That might actually be the yeah, difference. That's true. But, uh, I would put the Giants just slightly ownership. ahead of the Jets Me because too. of ownership. It's just Me ownership. Uh, that, that is such a great question, though. Um, we should this summer rank all 32 teams. Oh, that'd be like where you'd like, want to go work. Most, yeah. Yeah, number we'll one, it. New England. All right. Peter Colton, I can't see hashtag Jalen Hurts not going round one if the hashtag Ravens keep succeeding. More accurate Lamar Jackson. Also, what's the difference between Henry Ruggs and K.J. Hamler besides quarterback and team skill around them? All right, let's break this down. The, the first oh, one's... Yeah. So, go for it, yeah. Jalen Hurts, as a runner, isn't in the same universe as Lamar Jackson. Nope. He's not even in the same universe. It's not even a conversation. And I'm still not convinced he's this great thrower. I'm sorry. I... I'm not taking Jalen Hurts in the first round, and I openly did like Lamar Jackson in the first round. So if I'm wrong, so be it. But not everybody can – you can't just find a Greg Roman everywhere either. Like, I love Lamar, but this system is perfect for him. 
And I'm so happy it's working it out. He's helping the Ravens. The Ravens are helping him. I don't think they're the same player. I have, I have a lot. My head is about to explode because there's just so many different ways I can't, like, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I will say. I like the question. I, I want to so, be clear with that. I do, too. Lamar Jackson, we never saw him run a 40 because he didn't want people to say he was a receiver. I think he would have ran comfortably in the four threes. I do not believe that that Jalen Hurts is anywhere it's close It's the twitchiness, to too. I also don't think he has as natural of a motion as a thrower. Now, Jalen's motion has gotten a lot better since leaving Alabama. It's looser, but it's nowhere near as loose as Lamar's. It's just not even close. So I, I don't see the comp there. I think, if anything, Jalen Hurts is like a, a more rigid Dak Prescott, but I don't know. Dak's accuracy, I thought, I honestly thought was better, and he definitely wasn't playing a wide open scheme like this. Now, the second part of this question the difference between Henry Ruggs and KJ Hamler is 30 pounds. Yes. That's a big one. And Ruggs is faster. Yes. Ruggs is 4 so, 2. Like, Hamler, that's the difference. Hamler is like the Hollywood Brown build and probably the Miko Hardman 40 time. Yeah, Hamler's listed at 5'9", 165. So whether you believe that or not, and Ruggs is six foot one ninety. That's a big. That's Ruggs a big is difference. longer. Ruggs is built like NFL Tyree Kill. I mean, he's, he's thick, thick, but he's he's got the. It looks like he has long arms. Like he can extend for the ball. Ruggs. I know what we just right. talk about like just no, get, dump him the ball and run. Legs. Like he can play receiver. I want to make that clear. Yes. So I like Hamler a lot. He's just, he's very small, and that's the difference. I do too. It's just little. He's just a little guy, so that's okay. Way to bring it's it, okay Peter. Good questions. Guy. All right. All right. Jared Delbonis. Do the Colts take a look at some quarterbacks, or do you think they roll with Brissett? So I think they roll with Brissett, but I think it would be smart to draft a quarterback late, like we were talking about with the Browns. Why not? you got a ton of picks. Draft someone late. You know, Brian Hoyer is not you know a backup quarterback of the future. I know they do have Chad Kelly, I think, but I'm not a huge believer uh, in Chad Kelly. Uh, who would be a great time. Please come on the tailgate tour, but not a huge believer in him as a quarterback. The Colts have eight picks. So looking at it, I mean, they, they have one seventh, they have one sixth and one fifth. I would, I would look at one of those picks as maybe, a, you know, getting a quarterback that you believe is a developmental guy. I will say this though, the quarterback class, we've talked about it being kind of top heavy. There aren't those guys late where you're like, Oh man, give me a Nate Stanley to develop or a Steven Montez to develop. Like, it's just there's no one yet where you look at the the seniors especially and say, okay, this guy's going to fall in the draft, but I like his traits enough to draft him. Yeah, I think when you look at Jacoby, he's easily done enough to warrant keeping that job. Now what you need to know about Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds is that these guys are always scouting, just always thinking two to three years ahead while everyone's in this one- or two-year bubble. Not everyone, but a lot of teams. And I think that's why uh, they'll take their swings and – they'll get a younger backup on that roster that they want to see if they could develop. But Brissett is Brissett's the yep. guy. I mean, what more do you want him to do right now? No, he's done, he's done everything you can. And like his stats are good. His play is good. Everyone likes it's him. Good whatever leader. reason. Yeah. So. I like him. Big fan. All right, last question from Mike Daniel. And you get to answer Yay. this one first, Connor. <laughs> Why hasn't Sam Darnold taken the next step? He showed so much potential late last year only to look Ooh, worse. Oh, there's now. a lot of ways we can go about this. I think... Number one, starting the season with mono didn't do him any favors. I mean, when you miss that much time, it's not easy, even though he came back and looked phenomenal against the Cowboys and then bottomed out after that. The offensive line's miserable. The play calling's not any good. Uh, they've lost guys at receiver. They lost the Nunmo right away. It, you know, that obviously hurt them a lot. They haven't had Chris Herndon all year. That is his favorite target. I mean, the, the tight end on the team is Sam Darnold's favorite target, Chris Herndon, who should make his season debut this year. And I'm very curious this week. And I'm very curious to see if that changes anything for how much he relies on him. But Adam Gase was brought in to develop Darnold, and he's regressed. Jeremy Bates cut down his fumbling issues, tightened up his mechanics. Just ball security, yep. and, and he's regressed back to all those things that were problems coming out of USC. So it's uh, it's the perfect storm of how to ruin a 22-year-old quarterback. Yeah, it feels like he's not getting any momentum. No. You know, like like back we foot. talked about on the Monday show, it's like the, the mistakes are just compounding, and there isn't a break where it's like, okay, you know, even uh, what game was it? Hell, his first game back where he was like 8 of 8 on the first drive, and it's like, okay, like here we go. And then he throws four picks, you know, so it's it's so difficult because he's not 
not building on the good plays, you know, because there, there's been so many mistakes. And we could point to the O line, point to receivers. I, I don't think it's it's just on Sam, but it's definitely been a tough year. All right, that is our show. Don't forget the quad on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. The tailgate will kick off. Alabama LSU is going to be a great time, and our our baby boy, uh, your. The birthday is actually today. That's right. When people are listening to the show. We're gonna be celebrating it this weekend in Alabama. Are you get? You're I'm 28. turning 28. I get one more one oh more day God. as we're recording this of being 27. Boy, has time flown by. I know. Crazy, right? It's always tough because like we want to call out birthdays on the show, and I I looked down at the calendar and I was like, oh man, it's the fifth. But like, so there's like, when is the right time? So we'll definitely uh, Friday. We'll, oh, we'll do have a it'll be awesome show, but. This uh, this weekend, come celebrate Connor's birthday in Tuscaloosa with us. It's going to be a great time. Jacob Hester is going to be there. Landon Collins, Jim Nagy, Adam Kramer, and the 28-year-old Connor <laughs> Rogers. Be the first to give him a birthday hug. We'll talk to you all Friday morning. Our big board reveal show uh, from all three hosts. It's going to be a great time. Mm-hmm.